Glory to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That was quite interesting soundtrack going on, or soundtrack going on, rather than past tense, as we pray and approach God as it thunders in the background here. We have since Pentecost in the weekly cycle of the lectionary been reading through the Gospel of Matthew. And we are going to be with the catechumens doing a few classes before we start uh, in September with the series of classes uh, going over the Sermon on the Mount. And I wanted to provide a little bit of a frame in which coming to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that it may have a greater resonance, uh, depth of authority, and how it operates in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, the four different Gospels are all written and had different audiences in mind, and it's pretty common consensus that Matthew is writing for fellow Jews. So it is no surprise, as we're reading through the first few chapters of Matthew, that there's things, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, especially Exodus, that start to jump out at you. Matthew very intentionally draws Jesus to be a second Moses. As he is born into the world with Jesus, uh, there is already a king out looking to kill him. All right, we have Herod, and then we have Pharaoh with Moses. And what happens after this escapade, or this Scenario between Herod and Jesus, or Pharaoh and Moses, where does Jesus go with his family once they realize an angel reveals to Joseph what is coming? They go to Egypt. It's like Matthew wanted you to really get the picture. So he's going to Egypt. He flees to Egypt. When they hear that Herod has died, our Lord, uh, by his parents, are taken back to the promised land. But uh, what do we have as we read through the Gospel of Matthew? Uh, when you are heading towards the promised land, when Moses is heading towards the promised land, taking his people, what do they have to go through first? They have to go through the Red Sea. Well, what happens in the Gospel of Matthew? But, of course, it's a little bit later, right? We have to be a little bit loose, but all of these... Uh, illusions uh, resound. Our Lord has to be baptized. And what happens as soon as he's baptized? What does the Spirit do to Jesus? It descends upon him, but I'm in desert, so it drives him into the desert. Moses, with the people of Israel, they are baptized, they pass through the Red Sea, and then they're in the desert. Now, there's temptations in the desert. Israel fails. What does Israel end up doing? Wandering around for 40 years. But our Lord, of course, this is one of the main points of what Matthew is pointing towards as a second Moses, a second Israel, second Adam. He actually passes the test, right? He is tempted and he does not fall into the temptation in the wilderness. After this testing in the wilderness, uh, the Gospel of Matthew has our Lord assembling his 
disciples, his apostles, bringing them because he's about to launch into his ministry. This, of course, echoes. We already have the idea of Moses with his people, and as they're heading towards and into uh, the desert on the way to the promised land, there's a particular place that God wants them to go. And this is why when we hit Matthew 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we are paralleling again Israel, where Israel is brought to the Mount, and our Lord comes to the Mount. Because what is our Lord going to do on this Mount? He's going to give them the new law, just as Moses reveals the law of God to the people. This building of this echoes, this is a way of approaching scripture and hearing the familiarity with the narratives, especially the Old Testament. That's how you see the, the New Testament really, I'll say, sing. It's like, I forget the exact uh, term, musical term, where you have Joy does it sometimes. Goes at the desk camp, where you can, if it's all, if the chord hits, right, you can hear other resonances, and scripture operates like this. If you have the ear to be able to pick it up by being familiar with scripture, that you can see what the gospel writer is doing, presenting to us the new lawgiver, the one who is not going to fail, as Moses failed in his testing in the wilderness, but the one who is going to give us the completeness of the law. Because he tells us in the sermon, in this giving teaching, that he's come not to abolish, not to destroy, but to fulfill. I recommend on a pretty regular basis to read the Sermon on the Mount. Because the Sermon on the Mount gives for us, it is one of the most concise places where we can find the teachings of our Lord to remind us, even if we, we have it very regularly put before us, aspects of the Sermon on the Mount, we sing the Beatitudes every single Sunday. Unless it's a particular piece, eh? And this is something for us to regularly put before us because as we see in the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord, in the completion of God's revelation on Mount Sinai to his people, in the formation of the new Israel, the spiritual Israel that he is starting with his 12 apostles, of course representing the 12 tribes, we have him giving us the teachings that especially hit the heart. That's one of the main themes of the Sermon on the Mount. This is not about uh, the outward show. This is not about uh, all of what you need to do as much as what you need to do because your heart is in the right place. I especially encourage reading the Sermon on the Mount in tandem or alongside Deuteronomy. I remember growing up, it's probably my confusion more than anybody else telling me this outright, that there was a lot of ways of talking about the Old Testament, that it was just kind of the law, it was this outer thing, uh, and then you get to the New Testament, you get spirit, you get life, and the, the Old Testament is just kind of almost like a, an old coat that you just kind of threw aside. 
which is, of course, completely in contradiction to where it says in the center of the middle. So this is probably just my youthful mind not fully understanding. But what you get with the Deuteronomy, does anyone know what the context of Deuteronomy is? Yes? Um, in the first, in the book before, it's saying that God, that God, is, very, God is just, but in this book of Deuteronomy, it's saying that the life is not, life is not the, 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 the work of God. Life is not the work of God. So, well, we, you can get from Deuteronomy, it's even in the, the, the second giving of the law. You can hear it in the, the name, Deuteronomy. It is where Moses is looking to the promised land, and he is giving basically sermons about the law. He is encouraging, and if you read through Deuteronomy, you get, this is one of those revelations to me, that the Old Testament is, of course, about the heart. It's not that uh, there was this kind of outwardness, just outwardness, and then the New Testament all of a sudden you get all heart stuff. Oh, Deuteronomy is incredible sermons by Moses to his people, encouraging them to be faithful, encouraging them to remember what God has done in freeing them from Egypt. That's one of the refrains. You've been freed from Egypt. God has done this with his outstretched right arm. Do not forsake him. Because we get to the end of Deuteronomy, you get the two ways. And this is also throughout the Sermon on the Mount. There's basically, there's the way of righteousness and there's the broader path. There's the way of blessing and obedience, and then there's the way of destruction. So I highly encourage, read, of course, we, we've already gone through the Sermon on the Mount uh, in the weekly lectionary, but pick it up. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Put it into the, your greatest hits, you know, the cycle to read, to contemplate, to look in the mirror and take a gauge of yourself and your heart. And I also encourage, read Deuteronomy because it will sing, it will give resonances, you will see places in which God will reveal himself to you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.